Hello, everyone, and welcome to Easy Medicine, a podcast designed to authentically engage medical and pre-medical students on their journey to becoming a physician. As an aspiring physician, I seek to provide insight gathered from my own experiences as a student, tutor, and coach, as well as others in the field to make this incredibly complex adventure a unique, fulfilling experience. Together, let's make medicine easy. All right, for today's question of the day, it's a histology question. A 55-year-old male presents to the office for a routine physical. The patient has had a history of GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, for the past 30 years. You recommend an EGD to check for Barrett's esophagus. The doctor sees a transition from stratified squamous epithelium to simple columnar with goblet cells. What type of cellular adaptation is being observed in this case? And the answer will be at the end of the podcast. I am super excited for our topic today. This is something I discuss with every single one of my students. I do it in the first session always, and it is a continuing conversation for each of our sessions to come. I think this is something that we do not think about often. We think it is just a natural process, which it is in the beginning of life, but eventually it becomes something we need to actively engage in and we need to focus on it and we also need to recognize it is difficult. The concept we're talking about today is learning to learn. I want to just start before I dive into my real depth conversation about this. Think about how we learn from an evolutionary standpoint and through development. So think about when you are a baby. When you're a baby, At first, you don't really make too many sounds other than crying. You might make some oohs and kahs and things like that here and there, but in reality, nothing is really a sensical sound that you're making. You're not really defining a language. You're not really saying your needs as a baby initially. However, you start to learn that certain sounds go with certain actions or that you want something so you make a certain sound. So, for example, Every time that a baby gets closer to saying ma correctly or mama correctly, we congratulate them. We get excited. Oh, good job, good job. And the more we do that, the more the baby tries to do the same thing because they recognize the response. So this is a really interesting thing is that naturally we learn. We learn various things that we don't even sometimes remember how we learn to do it. For example, going through and looking at simple math problems. If you haven't looked at simple math problems for a very long time, you still probably know how to do the majority of the questions. And that's because we ingrain this learning that is a not only a natural thing, but then eventually becomes an active thing. So for example, when we're little kids, we might start to count how many clouds are in the sky or how many flowers we see we might start to learn how to add things. Like if I have two apples and I have two more apples, that gives me four apples altogether. And these natural processes of learning are innate to our mechanisms of development. And it's such an interesting thing to to watch and to, if you've ever had the chance to kind of see a, a child grow from baby to the infantile stages, to the toddler stages, and then the preschool stages. It is so interesting to watch how they develop. 
they they are mirroring what they see. So when they learn to walk, they're getting congratulated on, you know, how they're doing. When they stand up for the first time, it's so exciting. And we cheer them on and we cheer them on. And then they keep doing it and they keep doing it. And they keep learning how to develop into the appropriate stages of life. So I think that this concept is so interesting because learning in the very beginning of life is natural. It is a natural process. It is not necessarily something that we have to consciously engage in, right? Because our mode of consciousness does not start developing until later in life where we start to think about why we think or think about what we're thinking about. Um, it is so interesting to me that the brain has the power to think about what it's thinking or to learn that it's learning. And we start to identify this and engage with this concept as we go through education. Now, in education, our processes of learning change. And this is a really important thing. Remember when you were in school and maybe middle school or high school, every 45 minutes to an hour, you were switching classes. The way you learned in each class was most likely different. When you did English, you had one type of learning. When you did math, you had another type of learning. So for example, with math, maybe you had to watch how they did it on the board, see a practice example, and then do it yourself. Or maybe during reading, the best way you learned how to pronounce words was by hearing it from someone else. So it's super interesting to dive into this concept and really think about how we learn. And when we take it from that perspective and then move it into our graduate education of medical school, we have to recognize how we learn. We have to go back and kind of think about what is my mode of learning and how can I be the best at learning for me? So when I discuss this with students, I have five principles to learning, and we're going to go through each of those today. The first principle, as I already mentioned, is mode of learning. Now, what I mean by that is, what kind of a learner are you? Are you auditory? Are you a visual? Are you tactile? Are you a mix? And this is a really important question to ask yourself because it can help you in choosing what type of learning strategy you want to primarily focus on. I think the best learning comes from using a mix of all three, but we need to find a primary. So how do you learn information best? A question I'd like to ask students is, when you're taking an exam, what do you think to yourself? Do you think, I remember seeing this, I remember hearing this, or I remember doing this? It may be a mix, but what is the majority? What are you, what are you noticing the majority? Are you noticing that you remember seeing things? Are you remembering that you did this before or that you heard this multiple times before? And I like to gauge that as our primary assessment of what kind of learner you are. So if you say, I remember seeing this, to me, that tells me maybe you're a visual learner. And there are, of course, assessments you can do online for free that you can kind of really gauge to see which one you are. But from that standpoint, if you just ask those three simple questions, you might be on a track to kind of see how you primarily learn. So thinking about all of that, if I say, I remember seeing this, that means maybe I am a visual learner. So the things that you're going to do in your primary mode of study are going to satisfy that quadrant of studying. So if it is that you are a visual learner, 
you want to find things that are visually appealing to help you learn the information. So if that means that you really like to look at lecture slides that have all the high yield information on one slide, that should be your primary resource. If you feel that when you make study guides and maybe you handwrite the study guides, you remember where you wrote something, that is a good identifier to say, okay, my primary mode might be visual. Now let's take tactile, for example. Let's say you watch somebody write it on the board or, or you group studied and they broke it down by concept and then you rewrote that. And then you get to the exam and you remember the step-by-step -step how to do that because you remember how it was written. That might mean you're a tactile learner, which means you need to engage in things during your primary study that will be tactile. So that means writing out the steps, handwritten, drawing the pathways, making the functions. Um, and then the last one is the hearing. So if you remember hearing something, maybe you're really good at auditory. Maybe you could be driving in the car listening to lecture and things stick with you because you remember how something was said. Or you remember in class somebody emphasized this really, you know, a couple of times or their inflection changed um, regarding what the, the material they were talking. So that must be important. Or, or maybe it is that when you're in the group setting, you remember not what was written, but what people were talking talking about. So I want you to try and figure out what type of mode of learning is your primary mode. And of course, don't don't feel like you can't mix in the other things, but pick your primary mode and then activate that for your majority of your time you're studying. So that is principle number 1. Principle number 2 is understanding. So what do we need to do to understand the information that is put in front of us? Basically, how can I get the fund of knowledge from this piece of paper or this lecture or whatever the presentation is and put it into my memory so that I can understand it? So once again, you start out with the primary mode of learning. You say, okay, I know that my primary mode of learning is blank. And now to understand the information, I'm going to apply that primary mode of learning by doing whatever fulfills you know, that category. So for example, if you need to understand the information and you're a visual learner, what I recommend is either making study guides, making flashcards, um, something that you will visually see every single day as your primary mode of study. Now that visualization of the information is really important for those learners to help them understand the fundamentals of the information being displayed. Same thing for tactile. If, they're, if they need to understand the information by piecing it together, by handwriting it, that is how they should use their primary time. So when I mention primary time, I want to be clear on this. This means the majority of the time that you are studying, you are using your primary mode of study. This means when you first receive a lecture or you first receive an assignment, you engage the primary mode of study. We will talk about later on when we come back and review things, but right now we are solely focusing on when you first see this and you need to learn how to understand it. All right. Now our third principle here is repetition. So we first figured out a mode of learning. We then figured out how to understand the information presented. Now we have to figure out how to repetitively see it so that it sticks in our long-term memory. Now, on top of repetition, here's something that I want you to understand. When you are repeatedly looking at something, make sure that you are seeing that information from different angles. 
Now, here's the reason I say that. When you go to take the exam, you'll probably never see the question written in the same format that you did when you were studying. So if you go in with a locked-in mindset that this is the only way that this information can be presented, you most likely are going to get it wrong. So I want you to keep this in mind. When we're talking about repetition, we are talking about how can I see this information from as many angles as possible before I get to the exam. So now, how do we do the repetition? There are many options out there. You, um, Anki is not the only option, okay? I wanna keep that clear. I love Anki, I think it is an amazing resource. It is not the only option out there, okay? It is great because it, time, it, it has a built-in timing system, so you don't even have to think about when you need to see information again. But I also know the downfalls of it, and I don't want you to feel like you have to use it if you can't. So. Now that we're doing what's called a secondary learning, we are trying to figure out how do we take our understanding and see it from a different angle that makes sense to us that will stick for long term. All right. So this may be, like I mentioned, Anki. This may be handwriting flashcards. This may be watching other um, supplemental resources or listening to podcasts or supplemental resources pertaining to the subject. This may be practice questions. This may be um, speaking in group sessions with other students and talking about the concepts. So, so there are many ways to go through repetition. What is most important, though, is that when you're in the repetition phase, you are ensuring that you are hitting every subject and giving the same amount of time to every subject. Now, I want to say at a caveat, if there are subjects that came extremely easy to you, which is not super common in med school, but if there's something that came super easy to you, save that for last. I like students to go in order from when the first lecture they got to the last, just because that keeps them on track and they know um, kind of the process that they need to go through. But if you feel that there are certain subjects that you didn't get enough time with, do those first. Otherwise, I would say start from the beginning and go back. So now that we have our understanding, we're doing repetitive actions to now study this information. So what comes with repetition is planning. We've talked about time management in other episodes, but I want you to be conscious of your planning so that the day before your exam, you're not like, oh my God, I have 15 lectures to review. I typically request a two-week window to start the rep repetition or the secondary learning. So once you get two weeks outside of an exam, that's when I want you to actually engage with the, the rep repetition material. So if you're an Anki user, that means that you are going back to lecture one and you are starting on doing those Anki cards. Or if your secondary is doing practice questions, that means you are going back to lecture one and you're finding practice questions relevant to that material. When you are in the repetition phase, you have to pay attention to what you're not understanding well. If you are not understanding it well, this is where the modes of learning can be used to your advantage to try and get a different perspective. So if you're a visual learner, I want you to try and figure out what is your secondary mode of learning. If it's tactile, then the next step that you should be doing in your repetition is handwriting or creating pathways or building um, structures that make sense for you. If it's a secondary of hearing, then maybe going and watching or listening to supplemental lectures is the next best step for your repetition. 
So doing this, you have now created principle one, your mode of learning. Your primary mode of learning is auditory, visual, or tactile. The next thing is, how do I get the understanding down? That is by engaging the mode of learning. So you are going to engage with your visual or your auditory or your tactile learning. The next thing is the repetition, your secondary learning. So in the secondary learning, you can use many, 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 many different modes of learning. You wanna create a two-week window, and in that two-week window of the exam time, you wanna start the repetition phase. And it can be using your secondary mode of learning, whether that be tactile hearing or visual, and you're going to use resources that will best benefit you. So now we need to talk about the fourth principle. The fourth principle is relearning. Now, this is coming into play when we go back to learning for boards, right? I mean, if you think about it, you are looking at two years worth of information crammed into one exam. So what people always, always ask me is, when do I start board studying? When do I start board studying? When do I need to like jump into this and uh, you know, really start engaging with all this material that I learned last year? And I totally understand that. That stress is, is Im immense. It is hard to even think about how much material you've been through and how you're going to regurgitate that all for the exam. But I want to reassure you one thing. Relearning is an active process. So even those people who you hear are constantly studying for boards from the minute they start, they may be very passive in their approach. So I don't want you to, to feel bad about yourself if you haven't started studying for boards and you're, you know, and you're like years away from it. It's okay. It is okay if you haven't started. It is better to engage with the material you are learning and using those first three principles to really get it down. But when you go back to your relearning, one thing you will recognize is it is a lot quicker to learn the information that you learned before. And the reason for that is because you use those three principles to really understand it, repeat it multiple times, and put that thing back there in your long-term memory so that when you needed to, you could bring it out again. Are you going to remember all the details? Absolutely not. You are not going to remember every single amino acid in each part of the hemoglobin and you know all of the different components of the purines and primidines and all that good stuff it, it's really hard to i mean if you do great for you but after you know you take the exam a lot of that stuff gets washed and put into your back to memory but when you go back and learn it it is not a new language anymore so when you go back and learn anatomy for the second time you have an understanding of what these words mean what does an innervation mean Right? For somebody who's never taken anatomy, they have no idea what an innervation means. And then you hear all these random words like trapezius, levator scapulae, semispinalis, and you're like, what am I even, what are these words? I've never heard this before. But when you go back and relearn it, it's familiar. So when you relearn it, the process is in general faster. So when you go through your relearning phase, what I want you to do is create an active structure. Do not just randomly start going back to subjects that, you know, today I'm going to do biochem and tomorrow I'm going to do this and um, the next day I'll do hemoc. Like, you have to have a structure behind the relearning. So when you create your structure, I want you to start with the thing you know least. So what material is the most difficult in those first two years or in the third year? which of the materials or which of the COMAT exams or shelf exams was, was the most difficult to understand. You start with that, 
you engage with that actively, and once that concept is done, you throw it into the cycle of repetition. This is, I'm going to talk about boards prep in another um, setting, but I want you to give a general premise of what the relearning process looks like. So, like I said, in relearning, the information is more familiar. You're not going to remember all the details, but the familiarity makes the process easier. And when you're relearning, you want to go back to your primary mode of studying. You want to go back to how you originally understood it and then test yourself on it. Jump straight from relearning to testing yourself on it, doing as many practice questions as you can, and really keeping that information at a prime for when you go to take your board's exams. Now, the fifth and final principle, and I think this has to be the most effective thing um, in, in my own personal case and for many of the tutors that I've spoken to, is teaching. Teaching really solidifies how well you know the information. This can be incorporated at any phase of the learning process, but I highly encourage students to teach their peers or to teach people the class below because you will find that teaching others really solidifies how well you know the information. It's not only a confidence booster to be like, okay, if I can teach the subject, then I must know it pretty well, but it also is a solidifier to really say, I know this information. I, I know this well enough to be able to demonstrate it for my peers. And I think teaching has been a, an essential role in the learning process for many of my students. A lot of my students who I tutored now teach other students how to do the things uh, in class. And I think that has been substantially helpful for them when it comes to the learning process. So if you have the opportunity before your exams or before your, um, your board's exams to have group sessions where one person gets to pick who, the, who is the teacher and maybe doing it in block intervals, like first 15 minutes it's this person, next 15 minutes it's this person, this, that, and the other, I think that is an incredible way to really solidify your learning. And when you're teaching, other people can engage in conversation to help you see different angles of the material that might end up helping you for the exam. The other thing I want to mention about teaching is typically you won't teach until you know it well enough. So that is another reassuring factor to yourself is if you are comfortable enough teaching it, then you know this information. So to reiterate, the five principles, number one, mode of learning, visual, auditory, tactile. Number two, understanding, applying that primary mode of learning and engaging the material with your, with your study time. The third thing is repetition, secondary learning. Are you going to do Anki? Are you going to do practice questions? Are you going to do group sessions? Whatever it is, make sure that it is effective for you in re repetition. Make sure it's planned so that you have a time period before your exam to study. And then also consider using your secondary modes of learning to engage the material. The fourth thing is relearning. So once you get to the phase of your education where you are getting ready for boards or doing you know, wrap-up exams, this 
process will become essential. The relearning process is where you go back, you re-engage your primary mode of study, but this time you're familiar with the information, you can get through it quicker, and you're going to actively engage in more practice questions to really assess how well you know the information. And remember, be active in picking what you are going to relearn. Start from what you are least comfortable with and go to what you are most comfortable with. And typically what that means is the thing that you have seen the furthest will be the least comfortable and the thing that is the most recent will be the most comfortable. So plan it out accordingly. And then the fifth thing is teaching. And like I said, this principle can be applied at any point of your learning, but typically you only want to activate this when you are comfortable enough with the information to teach it to others, right? Make sure that you are confident in what you are saying and that you understand it well enough that other people will be able to understand what you are teaching them. And teaching really solidifies confidence and it also solidifies that you know the information extremely well. So apply these five principles and when you do, I truly believe it will make medicine a little bit easier. Now back to the question. A 55-year-old male presents to the office for a routine physical. The patient has had a history of GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, for the past 30 years. You recommend an EGD to check for Barrett's esophagus. The doctor sees a transition from stratified squamous epithelium to simple columnar with goblet cells. What type of cellular adaptation is being observed in this case? The answer to this question is called metaplasia. To define metaplasia, it is a reversible cellular adaptation that is protective. So when we're looking at Barrett's esophagus, the stomach acid that basically comes up from long periods of gastroesophageal reflux disease can lead to damage of the esophageal squamous epithelium, which is the normal tissue. To protect from the acid, that epithelium actually transitions to a simple columnar epithelium with goblet cells. And those goblet cells are important for providing a mucosal layer that protects from the acid. It protects from the further damage. However, at some point, this transition of the simple columnar epithelium may become dysplastic. And if it becomes dysplastic, that leads to an increased risk of esophageal cancer. And to follow up with Barrett's esophagus, the most likely cancer that can develop is called adenocarcinoma. So once again, the answer for this question is metaplasia. Thank you all for joining for this episode of the podcast. I really do appreciate it. My goal in life is to help as many as I can. And I know how much of a struggle it is to go through medical school and the pre-medical process. And I wish to be a guide for all of you and learn a lot from you as well. So thank you again for joining.